sermon is uh, Acts chapter 2. Some of you might remember that um, I have a, a niece that, that um, really she's, uh, I'm her, uh, what do you say that, uh, I'm her uh, uncle, uh, a granduncle, or however you say that. Uh, but she lives here in Fairbanks. She, she's a nurse at the hospital. And she's been here in services before. And actually, uh, her father has been here in services. He's a missionary in Africa, a Southern Baptist missionary. And he gets assigned to certain areas by the Southern Baptist Convention. But uh, in his blog, he, he recently posted an article about how difficult it is for missionaries' children uh, to come off the field and uh, the multiple problems that they, that they have. Uh, and there is a there is a degree of of uh, adjustment that should, that does take place with missionaries' children. Uh, one one pastor who had sponsored a number of missionaries told me that he felt like that emotionally and just um, their development emotionally and socially, was probably two years behind children that grew up in the United States. And uh, I don't know if that's accurate or not, but it is accurate that there are, there are uh, social differences. And also, sometimes uh, a missionary's children are not, do not receive the benefits of daily uh, or weekly being in a local church environment. And uh, most of the missionaries' work is evangelistic. And so when you, when they come off the field, you would expect them because after all, they're the missionaries' children, they should be very doctrinally sound. Well, they might not be doctrinally sound at all because they've not received um, doctrinal teaching because it was a church in, uh, in development. And so um, there's... Uh, 
an importance in recognizing the the purpose of a New Testament church. And and, uh, I uh, commented on the blog. I I, I usually get myself in trouble when I do that. (laughs) But uh, it's important to have a home church. It's important to be attached to a church. And Brother Noah particularly is very, is, his, has a very unique situation because his children are Lebanese, his, their mother is Lebanese, their culture is Lebanese, and it may be that Noah can start a church and then when his children get saved, they can become a part of something that is in Lebanon. But when missionaries' children come off the field, they need to know that they have a home, which may mean in some churches they, there's a family that takes them in and they house with them until they can get their feet on the ground. That they need to know that they have a pastor that they can come and talk to they need to know that they have uh, friends in the church, fellow church members that love them and care for them. And uh, they're not just the lone ranger out there doing their own thing. Well, that also translates over into every Christian. And as my nieces come home, you know, she went to different churches. She goes, she, she just bounces around. But, but it's important uh, to understand that the Bible teaches that saved people need to connect, be baptized and connect with a church. And I think we as churches need to, the members of the churches need to understand maybe more fully uh, what's involved in that. But we live in a day when, when people believe that salvation puts you into a universal church, a universal invisible church. And, and there's really no responsibility or obligation in that. I'm just a part of that. I'm going to go to heaven. But clearly, at least to me, there's a difference between being in the family of God and in a, in a church. And so this lesson this morning is about uh, the Bible showing that there was something called a, a church, an assembly. And, and that people were part of that. And so let's just work our way through this and uh, make comments as we go. The position of Placro Baptist Church is that the term church in the New Testament, translated from the Greek word ekklesia, is much more than just an assembly of people. God's word brings us to the conclusion that a New Testament church is an assembly of scripturally baptized believers organized to carry out the Lord's work. An assembly, something that meets together in a local place, 
They're visibly there. They're not there in spirit, but they're visibly there. Baptized believers, not just anyone, anybody, but believers, and not just all believers, but believers who were baptized. And here in Acts chapter 2, and in verse 41, And they that gladly received the word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And so we see people being baptized uh, after they had believed. And you see here that if with that belief and baptism, that they were added, added unto them. And what happens, the begins the first chapters here, how that 120 are meeting in the upper room, the day of Pentecost, the message is preached. And so I, I don't know how you could say that the, what is added to is any other than a local New Testament assembly. And they're organized. There has to be some kind of structure uh, when you have an assembly of people and they're just milling around. It's just a mob. It may, they may not be violent, but it, it, there's no organization. But a church has some structure to it. It has some organization to it. And so we're going to look at a number of scriptures here that point out that, yes, indeed, there was a structured organization called a church, uh, an assembly, uh, and that word, uh, the, that assembly is the Lord's. <clears throat> I will build my church, my assembly, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so that word church and assembly, it wasn't uh, uh, one that wasn't understood. The town assembly, the governmental assembly, uh, when in Acts they were rioting and the city official came and he said, this is an unlawful assembly. You're, you're, you're in violation of the law. You guys need to break it up. This is, this is uh, not politically correct. Okay, the first verse I want you to look at here is Acts 1 and 15. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of names together were about 120, and then it gives what he said, men and brethren, uh, and he talks about replacing uh, Judas. But you can see here that it says 120, and uh, it, it, it troubled me f for a long time that it was about 120. Well, what was it? What, you know, why did they say that? Well, you kind of have to understand the society. You know, uh, when, you, when you say, when, when you ask someone in the first century, uh, what time is it? He, he uh, pulled, pulled his sleeve up and he had this little sundial on there and he made sure it was right where it's supposed to be and he said, you know, it's about uh, 3.15. And so there's some things that we can't be accurate in, in, in the first century, and, and that's, what, that's what it gets at here. The word about is used commonly in scriptures to designate a number in keeping with the usual practice of that day, when people were not trying to be specific as we are in the 21st century. For example, uh, John 1.39, it was about the 10th hour. 
It was not important in those days to know that it was 9.55 or 10.05 since they did not have watches. Likewise, John 6.19 wrote about 5 and 20 or 30, uh, uh, 5 and 20 or 30 furlongs. Um, so they didn't have odometers. Acts 5.7 describes Sapphira coming to the church about the, in about the space of three hours after. We must remember that the Holy Spirit inspired words that people would normally understand and speak, but this does not mean that it was uncertain. The events of John 1.39 and Acts 5.7 did, did happen at a specific moment, although that moment is not recorded. And the very mention of the number of names in Acts 1.15 shows that a collection actually existed, even though we're not told the exact number. The important thing is to note is that the, that there were the note is not that there were 119, 120, 121, but that there actually was a number of names together. In short, there was a, a membership, a group of individuals that comprised the church. Then in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And so you see here that being in one accord in one place shows some organization. It shows that there was not just a happenstance and not just somehow they all came together, but there was some structure and the word all certainly indicates that the specific number was there. He did not say a majority or several, uh, but all. Then in Acts 2.41, which we already read, but they that God received his word were baptized, and the same day there added unto them about 3,000 souls. Again, the word about has the same significance. The important word is added, showing that a number grew, whether they were written down, on paper is not the issue. The fact is that certain specific people were saved, baptized, and added to certain specific people. This is, this is interpreted by some to mean that they were added to the Lord or added to the whole body of Christ, but the context has been speaking of a group of 120 ever since Acts 1.15 and continues to speak of that group which met together in Jerusalem. And I know that all of this is, uh, you wouldn't be here as members of our church if you don't believe this, but I'm trying to reinforce it. And there may be someone one day that's going to say, well, why do I need to be a church member? I'm saved. But the Lord wants to work through a New Testament church. And it's important to see that the structure in the New Testament, these scriptures point out that, yes, indeed, there were, there was the, the church at Jerusalem, and yes, indeed, the Jerusalem church sent out evangelists to start other churches, and, and those churches started churches when you see, when we get over into Antioch and Paul and Silas being sent forth and, and Paul and Barnabas being sent forth. And so it was added to and, and, and we're going to, um, we're going to a little bit later see here that it does make a distinction between salvation adding you to the Lord 
and salvation and baptism adding you to the church. And, and we'll note that when we get there. The Lord added people to the local church. And it says there in Acts 2, and we've already seen in verse 41, the precedent is that those that received the word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And then when you get down to verse 47, in the same context, not saying that all saved people are added to the church, but in the same context that they're baptized, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily as should be saved, such as should be saved. And so the implication is that these people were saved, but they were baptized and added to the church. But the, the, the purpose of pointing out verse 47 is that when it says added unto them about 3,000 souls, that specifically in verse 47, it's, it's the church. The church was not the whole body of Christ or the comprehensive church or the universal church or whether the term one might prefer with the local church because of the context. The word church must be interpreted by context. Context must determine the meaning. And the context of Acts 2.47 is that of the church at Jerusalem. Therefore, the church mentioned in Acts 2.47 is that church at Jerusalem that had, had just evangelized and baptized and was meeting in the temple and from house to house, teaching doctrine, breaking bread, and saying, and uh, 41 through 46, and in saying the Lord added, we conclude, he led these people to join the Jerusalem church and gave the apostolic leaders of that church the terms for which the new believers were to be added. Now here's where we see there's a difference. There was a difference between the church and outsiders. Look over in Acts chapter 5. And verse 11. Let's see. Um, okay. Here's where, uh, here's where Ananias and Sapphira was being deceptive about the amount of money that they were giving to the church from the property that they had sold. It seems as though when Barnabas sold property and gave it to the church, that that kind of became a, a, a buzz around the church. And Ananias and Sapphira also wanted to be recognized as doing something special, sold this property and, and gave money to the church, implying that they gave 100% of the money. And that was deceptive. Note that there wasn't a requirement that they give any percentage of it. They could have gave 1% or 5% or imagine if there was an increase in value and they made a profit on it. There ought to be a tithe, but, but they could have gave a portion and it would have been fine. But it was the deal that they were trying to make themselves something to be 
receiving accolades from the people. And so they both died, having lied to the church and having lied to the Holy Spirit and God. And it says, and great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. Again, implying that there is a church. It is inferring, referring to the surprising deaths of Ananias and Sapphira. Therefore, it must have been common knowledge that some specific persons belonged to the church and others did not. And we must remember that the Holy Spirit inspired these words, so it's actually he that made the, this difference. And then note here, let's go on here from verse 11. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they're all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And the rest, there's no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And then look at verse 14. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes, both men and women. That believers are added to the Lord. But in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, Believers who are baptized are added to the church. And so there's a clear, there's a distinction here. And I think you can find that distinction throughout the Bible. When you look over Galatians, that we're children of God by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not children of God by faith in baptism, but we're children, but faith in Christ's death, repentance and faith puts us into the family of God. But Faith and repentance uh, professing, professed before the church would result in them baptizing you if that was your desire. But here, what I want you to see here is that, that and of the rest, there's no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. It seems here that if the, if the people are magnifying the church, these people that's talking about here in this verse, if they are uh, saying this is a great movement here, these are great people, these are, these are scriptural people, these are godly people magnifying them, that the people saying that, uh, were it indicates that they were saved too but also indicates that they understood that church membership had a great responsibility and accountability. And at this moment, they didn't want to join this church. If you can get, if you can get killed for lying in this church, maybe I need to think about this a little bit longer. It wasn't that God didn't want them there, but it was that they really understood the importance of that. And and I think we need to kind of consider why this happened in this period of history and it didn't happen in our period of history. You think anybody's ever lied to a church that's been a church member? They're still alive. But it doesn't mean that God looks at it as okay. But it does mean this. There was a great revival going on. And, and God was doing 
wonderful things. And people's hearts were, uh, were rejecting materialism. People's hearts were coming to understand that God owns everything and I'm simply a steward of it. And God had spoken to Barnabas's heart and he was doing what God had led to do. And it's no time for someone to try to do something that's going to draw attention to them. And I don't have all the reasons, but I do think early in this church's history, early in its beginnings, that God was not going to tolerate phoniness. And uh, just because he doesn't slay people today doesn't mean that he tolerates phoniness. There's no place where cultural Christianity should exist in a New Testament church. You see, uh, it's not about conforming to the spoken or unspoken rules of the church, but it's about being honest and genuine. And so, all we're pointing out here, we're kind of running some rabbits, but we're, we're showing that distinctly, some people here were church members, and some people weren't. And uh, that there's a distinction made in the Bible about lost people not being members of the church, saved people who are baptized being members, saved people who have not been baptized not being members, not having anything to do with their eternal destiny because that's rests in Jesus Christ. And so down on point six, immediately after the death of Ananias and Sapphira and subsequent miracles of the apostles in Acts 5.13, it tells us that of the rest there's no man joining himself to them, but the people magnified them. It was common knowledge who belonged to this new church. And after such harsh judgment of two members who did not conform, some people did not dare <coughs> join them. Some belong, others dared not join for one reason or another. When one joins, there is a membership. Note the important distinction found in Acts 5.13 and Acts 2.47. We mentioned this, but believers are added to the Lord. They become children of God by faith. 5.13, but as believers who are baptized and are added to the Lord, the church at Jerusalem, Acts 2.41-47, the idea that all believers are added to the universal invisible church is confused the church with the family of God. We're born into the family of God by faith. We're added to the church by faith in the ordinance of baptism. We find also that there were people that were elected as officers, that there is an organized assembly. The apostles commanded the congregation, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among yourselves, men of honest report, 
full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, that we may appoint over this business. Look among you seven men of honest report. And they were speaking to a specific group whom they knew as brethren, but they said that they were to be chosen from among you, obviously designated a specific group of people. Any way we look at this, there must have been a membership. In Acts 9, we find an increase. Acts 9, 31 clearly implies members by saying, then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee, Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. And so it talks about churches, plural, in the area of Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. There had to be a number of people to start with, and a bigger number were then were multiplied. To say 50 people became 250 is to designate membership. Note, again, the important distinction that all believers were not members of the Universal Invisible Church, but the term is churches. There were a number of churches growing throughout Judea. The churches which Paul established, uh, and I'm think, I think I know that I'm uh, preaching to the choir here or teaching to the choir. I mean, you know these things, but I, th I think there's some things that you don't know. For instance, uh, there's a there's a Nazarene church uh, between out on China Hot Springs Road. If you attend that Nazarene church. You're a member. You don't have to give a testimony of salvation. You just have to attend. You're a member. Well, the Bible requires more than that. And you're going to find that all over, all uh, over among uh, universal church people, that you're a, you're a member of the local church, you're a member of the universal church, and you can go from one place to another. And I think the last point that we have in this lesson is very interesting about Phoebe, and, and I'll wait for that. But Phoebe traveled around, and she went to different churches. But you're going to see that she had a home church that she called hers. This uh, butterfly church membership, you know, you flitter here and you flitter there, and you go over there and see what that preacher's got for going for him. And you go over here and, and see what you get there. And, and you're just free. You're just free to do what you want to do. You're not accountable to anybody. And uh, you can stay home and, and uh, watch the television or go fishing on Sunday. Or, and there's, there's uh, I'm just serving the Lord. But uh, the Bible indicates that there's an importance in church membership. Uh, there's accountability, but there's also tremendous support. Not forsaking the assembly yourselves together, and so much the more as you see the day approaching, but exhorting one another. That, that a New Testament church membership exhorts you and to come here on Sunday after 
uh, being kind of kicked around by the world throughout the week and uh, struggling in some areas and to know that there's people here that have the same convictions and the same love and, and that uh, they care for you and uh, they love you and they will uh, help you. And so, point nine, churches which Paul established increased in number daily. Acts 16.5, we might read that again, or we haven't read it yet, but let's look at Acts 16 and 5. I don't like teaching from other people's notes, and so I'm struggling here, but there is some good stuff here. And if you hear it from me in, in a garbled sense, and, and then you look at it, and if you take it home and don't just use it to start a fire, uh, maybe, maybe some of it will penetrate your thick brain. How can I say that? Because my brain's pretty thick too. Acts 16.5. So were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Derby and Lystra and Iconium, different places that Paul had went and started churches. Such a statement would have been impossible unless they had a specific number to begin with. If 23 were increased to 25, on Sunday and 28 on Monday. There was obviously a membership to start with. And it's significant that all believers in those areas were considered to be in the churches. The same situation prevailed everywhere Paul went. When people were converted, they were organized into churches. Acts 14.21, if you look there, Acts 14.21 through 23, and when they preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that, with much, that we must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. I, th I want to just run a little bit of a rabbit here. When you study the New Testament, you need to keep in mind that the word church means an assembly. And you're not going to find in the New Testament that this is a mission work and this is a church. The word mission does not occur in the Bible. But in this passage, as they're going back through this area, you can see that, that Paul and, uh, I don't know who's here, maybe Paul and Barnabas, uh, but, they're going, yeah, Barnabas in verse 20. 
that they're going back through some church plants that they had left and they moved on and started others, but, they, but they're still, for a better word, they're still kind of underneath an umbrella of protection of these missionaries and the church that sent them out in Antioch. And so what you find in the, what you find in the New Testament, you, have, you find churches that are underneath an authority and you find churches that are independent, they're, they're, they're standalone churches. And so when Paul comes here, he's confirming the souls. He's, he's making sure that they're saved. He's confirming the souls of the disciples, verse 22, and exhorting them to continue in the faith. He's, he said, he's, giving them, he's teaching them, you know, don't compromise and don't quit. And, and understand that you're going to face tribulation before you get to heaven, because that's the nature of the world to hate the truth and to hate God. And when they had ordained them elders, what's happening here? Well, the word ordained is important to understand. There's two words that are translated, two Greek words that are translated ordained, and one means to point. But this word here, uh, not divorced from the other one, but it's just a different word. This verse here means that they raise their hands to vote. And so they're going back through. No doubt they had in mind some men that had leadership ability, but they, they, but they are going to uh, get these people to vote. And, and no doubt, as Paul and Silas were gone and, and they come back through here, there were people that were functioning as teachers in the church. And so they raised their hand to vote. It's a, it's a local assembly that raised their hand to vote and they ordained them elders. Also note here that they just didn't appoint one preacher, but it was the elders in the church. And I think here is where they became standalone. And then Paul and Silas could come back through sometime and say, how are you guys doing? But no longer were they underneath Paul and Silas's instruction or underneath their authority that they had in being sent out of the church of Antioch. But, but we have a church being established. And... Uh, and that's what Acts 14, 21-23 is about. It also has in our notes here, Acts 15 and verse 36, where it says, uh, oh, 15 and 36, and some days after, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city that we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And this could be unorganized churches and organized churches both. They're going back through. And then in uh, As they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep, 
that were ordained of the apostles and the elders that were in Jerusalem, and so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. And so all the point is, this whole lesson is, that there was something called a church. People were in it. They were members of the membership. All right, point 10. Ephesians elders were told to feed the church of God, the flock over which the Holy Ghost had made them overseers. Obviously, the church, the flock, was a special group of people. How else could these elders carry out their responsibility if they had to clearly know who made up the church, the flock? Troublemakers came from inside and outside the church. Paul warned, for I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own self shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. The danger would come not only from grievous wolves outside, but from their own selves. Some were outside the church and some were, uh, were in. Again, this is obvious, a membership. And so we see a distinction. The Corinthian church was commanded to exclude some brethren. But now I've written unto you not to keep company if any man is called a brother, be a fornicator or covetous or idolater or a railer or a drunkard or extortioner, with such a one know not to eat. This eating could not refer to ordinary meals, since the Lord Jesus ate with publicans and sinners. It must refer to eating at the Lord's table. He likewise says, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. This could not mean to stop associating with or speaking to such a person because of a parallel passage <coughs> which says, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed yet count him not as an enemy, but as a brother. It would be impossible to admonish him if he never associated or spoke to him. To have no company must mean church company or fellowship, preventing him from privileges of membership, holding an office, voting, and partaking of the Lord's Supper. And actually, there's no way to discipline a person if they're not a member. Matthew 18, 17 instructs the church to consider an unrepentant brother as a heathen man and a publican. How could this be done? Certainly by, not, by denying him access to the meetings, he would most assuredly want heathen people to attend our services and hear the preaching of God's word. And so it's not uh, talking about lost people. We want them to be there. We would most assuredly want people uh, to, to attend services and hearing the preaching of God's word. 1 Corinthians 14, 23, 25 shows the importance of this. Neither would it mean to stop speaking to the person. Christians could definitely speak to heathen people. How else could we win them to Christ? But a church would not permit a heathen to be elected as one of its officers or to preach or to teach or to vote on church matters or partake of the Lord's Supper. And so we just treat him as a lost person. We treat him as someone that's not uh, a member of the church. Therefore, to say that only certain people are eligible to hold office is to de designate a membership. 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 11, uh, we won't read that for sake of time, but Paul spoke of a wise man among you, 
who shall be able to judge between his brethren. He rebuked them for going to law before unbelievers. These brethren were called a church in 1 Corinthians 1, 2. Some people were known to belong to the church and some were not, which implies that you could sue someone that's not a church member. 1 Peter 4, 17 distinguishes between the house of God and them that obey not the gospel. When we remember that the house of God is a local church, according to 1 Timothy 3.15, if you look over in 1 Timothy 3.15, I don't think we can skip that verse. In 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul says, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how to, you oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the assembly, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. And so this building here, uh, house, but there's also a spiritual house, and uh, it's the assembly, and it matters how we behave in the assembly. It matters how we behave in a church. And then this example that I spoke to you about, uh, look over in Romans 16 and 1. Romans 16, 1. I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Sancria. We have an example of Phoebe in Romans 16.1. I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is in Sancria. She was on business in Rome but she was a servant of one particular church. Though it was obvious that Phoebe was assembling with the church at Rome, just assembly did not constitute church membership. She was a servant of the church which was at Sancria. This is the biblical pattern. The point is that we have no instance of the New Testament believers normal thing to do after conversion the, person, the point is, we have no instance of a New Testament believer's normal thing to do after conversion. The person who has settled the matter of salvation should then be baptized, following Christian examples and command, and join a Bible-believing, Bible-practicing church. And so, when we talk about Phoebe here, it may be that Phoebe was moving to Rome, and Paul has sent in this letter a recommendation for her. Or it may be that he just said, you know, this woman's coming, take her in, treat her good, and she may have went back to Sancria. I really think it's the first. And, and I think that uh, we're, this is not our intention this morning, uh, but I think there's plenty of scripture that points to the legitimacy of granting church letters between churches. 
I know some churches, we, we support some missionaries from some churches that, that dis, disregard church letters. Well, I think that uh, we find that even when Paul went someplace, he went with a recommendation. This woman is being commended to this church at Jerusalem. They could have easily accepted her as a member. The importance of a church letter is not only to someone to verify this person from just some local uh, guy on the street that comes in, and also to, to uh, understand that she's in, Phoebe was in good standing. You see, we need to, we need to stop this business of when people get upset in one church, they can go over and immediately join another church without any questions and say, why did you leave there? We need to stop this business of when people come to visit our church from another church, we don't do that, but let's say someone from a, a church goes and visits another church and it's in the same community in the area. I think that the ethical thing for that pastor to do who had a church member visit him from another church is to get on the phone and call the pastor on Monday morning and say, one of your church members was over here this last week. What's going on? And surely, if they're being uh, rebellious or unfaithful, uh, well, let, this let me this let me say this, and I and I say this on good authority. It's from horse sense. Horse sense is kicked into you when you receive a disgruntled church member from another church you receive a disgruntled person. Yeah. It'll, turn, it'll turn around and bite you in the butt. If they leave another church, they come to our church, it should be with the approval of the church that they're leaving and with the blessing of the church that they're leaving. I'm not disregarding doctrinal error, but uh, people get disgruntled. You know what you need to do with people who get disgruntled? You need to gruntle them. Gruntle actually is a word, and it means to cheer them up or, you know, pat them on the back or whatever. <laughs> so you learn at least this today, okay, that there is a word of gruntled, all right? You're dismissed. Oh, wait a minute. I'm going to be starting a class on God's solutions to life's problems. I know none of you have problems. But God does have solutions, and if you're interested in it, let me know. This, it's, a, it's a book to where if you miss a class, you can keep up with it, uh, but uh, it's not anything that you're going to be a, a really bad person if you don't take this class. In fact, I don't really care how many take it. I know I have one person that's going to be taking it. But if you're interested and want to jump in on it, then, then let me know.